If you've heard of entrepreneurship in Kentucky, you have heard of Zometry. Evan sits down this week with Drew Parrish, the CEO and founder of MakeTime, now EVP of Platform at Zometry. He has a lot of great opinions, not only about Kentucky, but about entrepreneurship and investing as a whole. An awesome conversation. Let's do it. Welcome back to the Middle Tech Podcast. You got Evan Knowles here. We are sitting in Awesome Inc. Uh, so shout out to them for uh, the space. Um, today's guest is Drew Parrish. I've been wanting to record with this guy for a while. Uh, if anybody in Lexington, I said before this was a ninja, it would be him. Seems to be a very elusive, uh, secretive, quiet guy, but he's doing amazing things in the city of Lexington. Um, and I met him. I got coffee with him uh, about eight months ago. I was thinking about leaving Fuji. I was at a kind of a crossroads in my life, and I needed to talk to some people that you know had experience and have done amazing things and done crazy things. And I heard Dreher was somebody I needed to talk to. Um, so I said, "Hey, let's get coffee." And we sat down, and you know, a few things stood out to me that I thought were special about him. One was obviously his experience. Two was he's such a creative guy, uh, and three along with that creative, I think creative people always try to go against the grain, and um, he's definitely not an exception to that. Uh, it's funny, before we started this conversation and hit record, we sat for thirty minutes and just talked about all kinds of weird, random stuff, uh, and so that's what this episode's probably going to be. Well, I'll try to keep it on course uh, the best I can, but uh, without further ado, Drew, welcome. Welcome, thank you, thank you for having me. <laughs> You're good. This is going to be good. Uh, so one of the things I just mentioned was, you know, when we talked to begin with, uh, we sat down and you have had a crazy background. Uh, you've done all kinds of crazy stuff. And before we get into you know, make time or zometry or any of the stuff you're doing now, uh, let's go over your background and just talk about why it's unique and how that kind of prepared you for the journey you're on now. So give the high, the high level five minute. We did yeah. that right before we started recording. Do it again. Yeah. The the one thing I left out. Um, well, I'll start with I'm from Henderson, which is very important to me. Yeah, it's like super important. Well, I'm from Etown. I always meant I got to mention Etown. You got to go west of 65, right? Like yeah. or just like if you're whatever side you're on. So, but Western Kentucky is important to me. Um, I'm from there, and to to understand Henderson is to understand that a strong entrepreneurial community, super strong. We have more tanning bed parlors per square mile than probably any other city in the United States. We have more combo tanning bed parlor woodcrafts ice cream shops and sometimes video shops than anywhere in the U.S. as well. Um, and that's important because it just shows that you have a willingness to push through. So, but I grew up in Henderson, Kentucky. Um, I'm a proud third generation, entre- you know, from a, a proud entrepreneurial family. My grandfather and his brothers were very industrious people. They, they grew up as tenement farmers, people that just farmed other people's land, did what they could to get by, uh, grew up in dirt floors, no shoes, all the, the stigmas and the things that you hear about Kentucky that fortifies us and gives us strength. Um, but they were, they were cunning, right? And they found opportunities. 
And when they saw an opportunity, they, they shot through the gap and they grabbed it and never looked back. And it's kind of, it's a hunger that sticks with you, right? It's just like, it's like fight or flight. You got to feed the family. You don't think necessarily, you don't have the luxury to think about a problem, but you have like the absolute drive and impetus to provide for your family at all costs. And that's, that's the DNA that I come from. And we talked earlier, they, they were not an educated group. They didn't need to be educated. Entrepreneurs? Yeah, they were entrepreneurs. They just, they were pre-wired to survive. And somehow that created generations of people thriving. And something about that transition was a beautiful transition. So, so anyway, growing up, seeing what they did was in manufacturing. And there's a bunch of narratives that I always talk about and a bunch of stories just and how that affected me. One in particular is after they solved somebody else's manufacturing problem, they themselves had capacity issues in manufacturing, right? And so from that, there was a problem that was set in my head, like, okay, why are all these machines, all, people all across the world making things, why aren't people making things, making things on my, my family's machines, right? Why are we laying people off when we used to have a bunch of people? Why does my grandfather have a white Lincoln with a CB radio and a dial pad? It, like, we didn't even have cell phones then. Think about that. That's some baller stuff. But their machines still weren't running. So... Fast forward, went off to get a psychology degree. That didn't mean anything to my family. I think I told you guys it meant that I could predict the future. <laughs> that, like, that's like a serious Why thing. psychology to begin with? Huh? Why did you do that to begin with? Like, why does anybody have a degree? <laughs> it's like, uh, Love that. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. It's just like, I think the, the promise of psych- psychology is manipulation, right? Everybody thinks that like... Reading oh, people's minds like, isn't that against them. And like my, my grandfather's right. Maybe I could have predicted the future... Um, just by all the information I siphoned from people. But unfortunately, that didn't pan out. So what was interesting, we didn't talk about this. I had some young hustle days. So in between Chicago, where I went to undergrad at DePaul, and, and Henderson, right? Let's go back high school, like middle school. I trained horses. So I did some like Western like horse training, which if you can imagine, is illustrious. It gave me a lot of silver that I carry with me today. And I'm not talking coins. I'm talking buckles. I'm talking braided belts. Like, whatever you guys need, I can fit you up for whatever (laughs) you want to do next. But I sold a horse. I went to DePaul. Walked in my dorm. And this guy goes, does anybody have 3500 bucks?" And I was like, you could hear the fat bills. I was like, I got 2000 (laughs) I was like, what do you need it for? And he's like, well, I'm trying to secure a night at a nightclub and we're going to promote and do some stuff there. Like, are you good to put it down? So long story short, through my tenure in DePaul, I was running club nights two to three a week for the entirety of like three, three years. See, that's the stuff I'm talking about. Yeah. You leave Henderson, Kentucky, you're dealing with horses straight to it, belt buckles. And now you're popping bottles in a club. (laughs) That's right. Popping just like, but it was like, it was like reuniti popping. It wasn't like Cristal. It wasn't Dom. It was just like, whatever wine coolers that we could get by. And you just said, here's 2,000 bucks. Here's 2,000 bucks. But that paid for most of my college. So what was interesting that period too is, um, I mean, it's just like, you know, interfacing with a whole new world. I was literally from Henderson, right? So after I did that, got the psychology degree, it was completely worthless. I had a stint, like, I know this is not a five-minute intro, but I had a stint as a, a curator at the Field Museum. Uh, left there, went back home because I failed ultimately at getting a real job. I became, it was a national runner-up to be the national sales account manager for, uh, you know, the Fox company, News Corp. Mm-hmm. But they also have a coupon dispensing subordinate, like, uh, not subordinate, but a subsidiary that nobody knows about. 
uh, that I was going to run the hustle selling coupons in grocery stores, you know, the things you pull. And luckily, the, the guy that ran that place is like, I think you've got different things carved out for you. This is $150,000 a year, and this is like at 95. Think about wow. it. Not 95, 98. Where was that? This was in Chicago. In Chicago. Yeah. Like, that's like $4 trillion now. Yeah. That's like, a lot of money. That's right. That's like a Buick LaCrosse lowered, glowed, <laughs> and chromed out. So, um, anyway, fast forward, all that garbage. Went to, uh, ended up going to um, graduate school to study architecture. And in, in between here and there, we discussed at a, a three year stint in France as a, a houseboy and building stuff this guy that owned it he got me into architecture school if we want to talk about that later we can but lived out in los los angeles southern california and uh ran what was then the largest 3d printed printing services bureau in the united states did their uh, bd and their ops work um and during that time uh there was a lot of convergence in design schools and architecture community around digital fabrication like solving big problems like big problems with like new machines new technology and so this company i ran um, we had a cashier thing division, and I remember walking into a shop in Del Segundo, saw a very familiar thing, which is a machine that wasn't working. So I offered the, the shop owners, like, just give me one machine, your crappiest month, at a fixed cost, and I'm going to bring parts in here for you guys. And I did it, and I did it successfully. Uh, scale forward to 2013. Um, in between here and there, I taught architecture and design entrepreneurship all across the world, and then simultaneously... Had a baby, and I'm, we can talk about everybody else's like path forward after this, but just decided to have a baby and start a company at the same time. Um, literally, like the same time. It was like six months apart, uh, but started make time because a friend of mine who was an investment banker said, hey, check this out. Um, I think what you're doing is what we call a marketplace, and it should be on the internet, and it can be a technology company. To which I said, what is a technology company? What is the internet? And then, so then the, the story starts from there. And I don't know that I, like going back in time, if I did it different, if I would even do it any different, because it just felt like the right cycle to go through all these things. But, like, I think we have an opportunity here. Yeah. Because we don't know what the hell we're doing. Yeah. And what, what it sounds like what pisses you off is people trying to find a pattern out of something that can't be patterned. And this is why I believe, you know, entrepreneurship can't, there are certain things that can be taught, but at its core, entrepreneurship cannot be taught, you know, taught in college, especially. One of the reasons I wanted to get out. Um, but it sounds like you're, you're getting at the point of there's not a game plan. There's not a book. There's not a pattern to this. And people should stop trying to force that upon Lexington in this region. Yeah. Like, why not? But you don't think... Is there, is it worth any effort to try to find a pattern? No, I mean, it's just like, I think humans are cursed to look for patterns. Yeah. Right? But just like, look at the, the entrepreneurs that have dominated our landscape. They're yeah, they're most, crazy. They're crazy. Yeah. They're homegrown. Yeah. Right? They're not like, they're not like, well, we meticulously sat down. Yeah. Right, and we had a board of like we had advisors that we gave equity to, and then they yeah. helped us brainstorm this, and then we went, you know, out to Silicon Valley on Sand Hill Road, and we n none of them. Yeah. I mean, maybe one of them. I don't even know if it's one of them. Yeah, but they're all like nutso that like sold mattresses out of their freaking trunk. Yeah, right, or like had a better idea for steak. So, and what's weird, they don't invest. Like, they're not trying to, like, help the situation. And sometimes I'm wondering, maybe they're right. We don't, if we stopped helping, 
right? <laughs> and stop subsidizing. And because then there's also the, the weirdness, that, like why people need to deploy capital, like into venture, because sometimes there's not other places to invest. So it's just like, I think we need to like strip it back down. Everybody talks about it in terms of the middle in Kentucky, and what does all this mean? And like, blah, 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 blah. And all these predator groups that come in and try and like, stimulate incubate and like grow entrepreneurs like weed and it's just maybe we should move do some marijuana just do yeah. marijuana like post it but my, it's just it's making me exhausted yeah like and i think it's exhausting a lot of us because the kentucky startup kid starts in year 50 of a startup lineage without the education of the prior 50 years and it's a lot to drink because we are brought up much slower than any of the people from anywhere else. And it can be a massive train wreck. And then another thing that pisses me off, we do not support the people that fail. Like anytime Make Time took a dip, people were happy. Oh, well, we knew. Yeah, that, time, that same, same shit at Fuji. All of them. Yeah. For some reason, we like to knock people down. Which yep. is another problem. And that's, you know, one of the reasons, <clears throat> you know, we're doing this for Middle Tech is at Fuji, when stuff happened, we had media. Media was there mainly to focus on the negative stuff. Yeah, They're digging into, well, why'd you lay off this many people? And why'd you do this? Why'd you do that? But every day we'd be working with amazing yeah. companies, building a crazy tech that never been built before, but they wanted to focus on the negative stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's partly of why we're sitting here on middle tech. So I, I 100% hear that. Yeah. Capital's a drug. Yeah. Capital's a drug for growth. Yeah. And it's very, like, and when you come off of it, like, there's no real solution, right? Like, it's just, it, it's a weird cycle. Like, you, you grow, 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 grow at all costs, and then you can be responsible, you can, like, do things, you can be tempered about it. At the end of the day, drastic things have to happen. Yeah. Right? Or, and that's in that model. And the funny thing is, is like, so you think about like, like I still love, there's this, um, I always forget the name of the book, but um, I think it's called The Family Tree, The Living, not The Living Tree, but it's about the most successful companies in the world are family businesses that over the past like 300 years have persisted. So you're talking about the DuPonts, like you're talking about like all the people that have ever started anything ever, right? Had, you know, 300 year, 500 year business plans. And sometimes you just have to wonder, it's like, where does the maximum outcome come from? Slow growth, fast growth. Like, I'm starting to think that slow is fast. Fast yeah. is like, it's just like, it's like an egg roll. Slow is like salad with a nice piece of like French bread. Right? They're both the same thing. Right? You digest it, but you have more optionality with the salad. Yeah. More optionality, you get more potential benefit out of it. Right? You got roughage, you're going to go poo-poo better. Like, you're not, you're not shoving it all in at once. But anyway, it's like... That's so true. About the food no. part, or the, the... well, all, yeah, that too. <laughs> no, just the time, the the slow. Uh, you know, Fuji, we we absolutely blew up. Yeah. We went from zero, we went to th- from three people to sixty people in two and a half years, and ultimately, it's because of capital. Yeah, it's because we had pressure of scaling. We didn't need to scale. We need to yeah. focus on growing the product and solving the problem we originally started. Um, and it, to contrast that, I'm now to Vail, and Randall Stevens has been at this game for almost 30 years and out of him solving problems in the architecture space comes a veil yeah. 
And I think Avail is going to be his biggest, it will be his biggest project he's ever worked on, I think. And it'll be one of the biggest ideas to ever come out of Lexington. And it just feels like that because he spent so much time. He's stewing. He's been stewing. Yeah. And he took his time. He focused on the product. And he's focused on you know, building something from a user's perspective because he studied it for so long. And here we are. And I feel like you know, he's gone to something. And we're on to something gigantic yeah. because of what you just said. It took time. It didn't just That's right. get exploded with capital. It didn't just blow up overnight. He's taken his time, and he learned that over years and years. And I think, like, we have to take advantage. I think we're at an inflection point. Like, we've gone from being an entrepreneurial region to now every startup wanting to come in, basically because they've ran out of places to invest. Or not startup, but every, like, venture, blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, like, let's just, like, I was just like, let's go here. Like, we're at an inflection point. I don't know what to do yet, but I think it's just, like, we could create the model for the next 1,000 years. And I think we're the place to do that, right? I think- Model for venture, model for, for what? Or model for creating sustainable businesses that grow communities, people and places at the right speed. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, like in urban planning or like anything, just like these opportunities in the sliver. Is there something to the idea of because the internet and technology moves so quick, so does a startup? I I think the internet moves at the speed of garbage. Like, and the one thing I've learned about technology, it's broken. Like, so the funny thing is, I think, yeah, startups match the internet and technology. We think it moves fast. We think it's as easy as deploying code, as pulling, like, a release. But then we spend the rest of the time trying to repair the crappy release that we pulled. It's like... (laughs) There's nothing, right? There's no... Move fast and break things. Move fast, break things, like rent, cycle, repeat, hope that yeah. if you iterate enough that you're going to get there, yeah. it literally mimics the model. And, you know, the few companies that master it are the ones that invented it. Yeah. They like, you know, own like the, the massive chunks of infrastructure. And it's just like, so there's the promise of like, you know, I think our greatest like technological gain probably was like, like AOL and Messenger. Like, or just something like that. Like, after that, just like, it may be like a search engine here and there, but the rest of it's just like, come on. It's just like, either we're targeting more on problems using, like, I often joke that, like, I bet if you took the operating expenses for every startup in America, it probably equals Google's top line. Because, like, you're just playing into their game. Yeah. Yeah. You're just, like... Or like now my favorite thing, every startup basically spends the first three months shopping what SaaS stuff that they need to make themselves successful, right? Versus like folks on, no, well, we need, we, we got to have Salesforce, but there's only four of us. Trust me, we need it. So we can look at the dashboard. <laughs> like how many calls did, it, did we have? We had, well, we had five. Yeah. Okay, great. It's on, look, we're going up. We had seven today. So it's just like, like, it's just like put us out in the middle of the holler and like, just think how liberating that would be. Yeah. Just think about how liberating it would be to get away from the echo chamber of this garbage. And like to literally be like, you know, like some, just find like something new and fresh. Is that an advantage you see for, you know, for Kentucky and for this region then for companies to move here because they don't have the pressure of all that or they want, you know, you, you basically just said, it's refre- it would be refreshing yeah. to be in a place like Kentucky. 
Yeah. I talked to one that they relocated to Richmond. Yeah. Like, and they're, they're like a smart one. I'll hook you up with them after. Yeah. I mean, they're, they bootstrap, they're doing their thing. They're just like, look, we're tired of being an expensive center and we're tired of the pressure of like the typical kind of raise. Like we want to go somewhere where we can afford to do the things we need to afford or that we can do. But it's uh, not, and another thing, it's just not, Yeah. The, the whole system's predatory. My favorite thing now too is that even Kentucky's getting preyed on by being a great place to be a remote worker. So how are you going to compete with Oracle paying people $160,000 to work out of Lexington in the office or not in the office? That's neat. Mm -hmm. Right? How are you like Amazon saying, no, 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 you don't have to move to Seattle. You don't have to move to one of our hubs. Just stay here. Right? How are you going to compete? It's just like, I think we can compete and all this stuff and we're still going to keep doing the same as we can. But like, let's have a forum. Let's have a conference like that just focused on just being like, rats like we don't have what you have like let's be scrappy and i know this is all aspirational garbage and like just because the end of the night but just like why do we have to take a model and just depend it onto what we're doing like let's talk about what we don't have this is also what makes me sad about what's going on in appalachia we don't have to make it something right yeah we don't have to like go to western kentucky there's why do we have an incubator there <laughs> like and i'm not saying that these things don't need to happen like something like that needs to happen. But have you seen, do you know how sad a co-working space in Henderson, Kentucky looks? Nobody knows what the hell it is. Like, they're just like, what? <laughs> why, like, why, why is the old grocery store now a place filled with desks? Yeah. That's literally what it feels like. But, and I know like now this is just gripe, 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 gripe. And it's like, doesn't make any sense. I know like other people have done this, but it's just like, look, it's just like, we have a unique opportunity like, Manifest Destiny started in Kentucky, for good or for bad. Daniel Boone came to the Cumberland Gap. 300,000 people from Western Europe followed him here. 150 went on. We are the land of tomorrow. Kentucky means the land of tomorrow. We haven't figured it out since the minute we came through the gap, since the first 150 that stayed. We did some bad things. We weren't great. But now is the time to do it. We've had enough people to go through this cycle to figure this garbage out. But I'm sick and tired of smart, willing, young, capable people being preyed on, right? To just throw cash on without the support to pull the blanket out from under them or the rug out from under them so that they can fail, right? I'm tired of it. Yeah. It's hot in here. Yeah. It's really hot. It's getting a little hot because you're talking so much. Sorry. <laughs> You're good. Uh, so moral of, of all of that, and that was great. You know, that's the kind of perspective and insight not many people can provide. Uh, but the moral of that seems like don't try to put a model on something that doesn't need to be modeled. Um, but let's, you know, transition and talk about the model of, let's just finish up on Zometry. Mm -hmm. The model of, what's, what's their business model? What's, what was MakeTime's business model? Talk about how that transitioned to Zometry, what problem is it solving? Touch on that real quick. Yeah. So the with make time, we took the focus of like there's a bunch of machine shops that have excess capacity. How do we get them work? How do we help them succeed? Right? You help them succeed by getting people that need to make custom parts. How do you do that? You write some smart software that prices stuff, shows the customer how much a thing costs. And then how do you get it to the supplier? You write some some smart software that routes to one of like 3,000 shops in, in North America, right, or in the United States that have the capabilities to do that geometry. 
So reading geometry for price, reading geometry for capabilities, smash it in a technology startup that was make time. Um, Zometry, same thing, right? Happened around the same time? Uh, yeah, literally like right around the same time. They took, um, in the early days, they were focused on the instant quoting. We were focused on matching, like getting it to the same. Your handshaking yeah. the, where you started. That's right. Yeah. So um, it was like a, a match made in heaven. Like we were great competitors for a while. And then when we got together, it made total sense. So all of a sudden our partner network's bigger, our customer base is bigger. And what we, we've built the world's best, biggest on-demand manufacturing platform, right? Think the holodeck. Like think, I want a part. Mm -hmm. I got a part. Where'd it come from? Doesn't matter. Right? Like no matter what analogy, Uber for manufacturing, AWS for manufacturing, the, the whole thing is just like use software to price a thing and to match a thing. And the faster and faster, faster you can do those things, the reality would be like, okay, guess what? You're an entrepreneur. You want to start a car company tomorrow? You have the cat files? You got a car. Yeah. Right? That's like the promise. Boom. Like, okay, you want to start a drone company? Bam. We got it. Like, wow, how's this happening? Like, that's the promise, that's the dream. Fuel the speed of innovation, right? Same time you're doing that, you're helping like a young machining base be more entrepreneurial, keep their lights on, focus on the business that they want to focus on, right? So when you first started doing the handshaking, the time, the lead time is the term to get a machined part mm -hmm. was what and what is it now? Okay, it was like forever and now it's less. Like, <laughs> Put like, some numbers to that. Yeah, so like, you know, just your typical part. Um, any so the typical process RFQ could be in months, and it's traditionally fourteen steps. So you have a CAD file. You work for big company X. You've got your CAD file, your spec. You send it out. This is the old model. You send it out to three hundred manufacturers across the United States to make it. You're conversating Western Kentucky word with all 300 of these people, you're the project engineer, now the purchasing person, going back and forth, what about this detail? What about this detail? Sometimes Sounds facts, miserable. Yeah, miserable faxes are coming in, whatever. And then now you get a price in about a trillionth of a second. So, a, just know, like you're sitting there and it's like Prince's yeah. like frilly laced arm just smacks you across the face, glitter dust comes out, and he holds out a hand with a price on it. <laughs> That's the delight that we bring. Yeah. And so the lead time, because it's smart and we match it to the people that can do it, like the time to manufacture. So the quoting part, which is technically even the longest part, right? It's the, the most white space in any process. Now it can all just be making. So something that would take like two months from like beginning to just a part can move as fast as two days. Right? That's game changing. That's completely. super game changing. Yeah. Like it's just like. And so give an example. A uh, real-world example of how that amount of time saved has changed the company. You know, oh. your clients range from BMW, GE, NASA, gigantic companies. Yeah. What so, has it allowed them to do now with that extra time? So the way I like to think of it in a maximal model, like your your automotive design schedules is anywhere from five, five to seven years, right? So five to seven years because that's the amount of time it takes for a new setup for a new line. If you don't have to set up a new line your design, your, your whole cycle time goes down. Your cycle time goes down, guess what? You get to respond and define your market even faster. You get to find the customer. So all of a sudden, like you extrapolate out of that, like what if you made 30 different types of cars for 30 different people on 30 different blocks, right? The true promise of like custom delivery, right? That's one thing, which is an operation, right? And we're starting to support that. Young aerospace startups, 
people that launch things in outer space launch things in outer space, right? Things that are like really hard, yeah. hard like if you're you're here anywhere just to get into the game. Now you make space and space manufacturing more competitive. Right? There's you have access to all these yeah. ITAR compliant aerospace manufacturers. So there's a time piece to it, and there's also a capital piece to it because now they don't have to buy the machines, they don't have to build the lines. Talk about that part too. They don't have to build a contract. Yeah. They don't have to go into some sustained minimum order quantity garbage, right? It's just like yep, the yep. same promise of like this, and this, is, I hate the analogy, but I love it, like AWS to like startups to start their software, deploy wood, put all this stuff easier, like no, they don't have to buy servers. It's the same thing. It's just like, so the maximum model of this is the built world, right? Delivered. Like you want to make it, Yeah. you want to build a house, yep. like in theory, you want to build a boat, houseboat with a, a helipad on it baller shot collar <laughs> right everybody knows the rest of the song but my point is is like that reality is here yeah you know we're doing tons and tons and tons of parts and in the same batch that are going like in ups all across the united states you've got stuff that are like implants and spines and like things going into brains things that are going into outer space and what's beautiful is agnostic they're yeah. all metal parts yeah, yeah, yeah. or plastic parts shoes even like it doesn't matter it's just speeding innovation on the customer side so on the back of amazon amazon built this gigantic marketplace and then on the back of that came a whole nother economy of drop shippers and small businesses running out of basements what's going to come out of the marketplace you're building it sounds yeah. like these entrepreneurs makers yeah homegrown in your basement makers is that what's coming out of this what what are you seeing coming it out is. of this model so it's not just makers, it's like your your engineers, right? Tons of professional business. Yeah, yeah. So, and like tens and tens of thousands of types of customers. But what's beautiful about it, so in, in a marketplace model, we take care of like the most simple hammer hit AV situation, which is yeah. I need a part, you make a part. Well, guess what? In making a part, there's people that don't know how to design, that need help with design. People that knew how to know how to design, but need better help on design. You've got a potential for engineering. Yeah. Right, you've got potential for all the things that go in the front end of the design part of it. Then you've got on the back end. So right now, my my title is the president of Zometry Supplies. I'm building out the marketplace with a fantastic team to sell all this stuff to help the the supplier succeed. So think about it. every metal part takes a tool, right? Cutting tool to cut it needs a block of aluminum. Yep. So in one year, not in one year, it's been since January. We took over the, the old building, big-ass fan building in Winchester. We built a 20,000-square-foot metal service center to do all custom just-in-time material delivery to our partners so they can have it faster, pre-cut to the shape they need on their machine. We acquired a business in Jackson, Tennessee to sell tools to these cats, right? Moving on other acquisitions, built an e-com platform. Your grease and the wheels are ultimately what pushed the marketplace along, which is the suppliers and manufacturers. Right. You want to squeeze every hour out of the supply chain you yeah, can. Yeah. Because the game here is speed. Yeah. The game is like getting the parts to the people as fast as possible. And that's how you win. Makes a ton of sense. So the marketplace just it's looking like more like a snowflake than it is just a straight line. Yeah. Yeah. And name some of the you know types of machining that you guys are doing. 3D printing, sheet metal cutting. Yeah, all of it. So CNC from three to five axis. Uh, horizontal, vertical, lathe, um, additive in every process from DMLS, SLS, FDM, SLA, like so everything, every process, cassiurethane, injection molding, all of it. 
is the process of connecting a 3D printer to the marketplace the same as a sheet metal company, cutter? In, in theory, the... a machine is a machine. Yeah. In reality, there's a lot of nuances. Yeah, yeah I'm sure. Right? And so that's kind of like you know, the ability to be able to d disseminate the information, right? Yeah. Going from one to the others. Yeah, and uh, you know when you read about you know articles and you see on your website, there's an artificial intelligence piece to this. Thanks. How far along is that? It's on the quoting side. It looks like what? What's the? What's that look like? It's blue. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're we've got um, you guys. The politician wanted me to say we're very blessed to have, but we have a, an amazing data and geometry team. Like I mean, from the beginning. We've invested both, like it's make time, anzometry, because the the reality is here you have a market, right? That's the size of the globe. It is like we always joke that it's not even doesn't even make sense to come up with the TAM or define the TAM because everything that you're looking at is in our market. Yeah. So if that's the case, how are you going to define the market and the market price? So that's one element, and then associating all the the history to a geometry and how to disseminate that price out to people. So our, our AI is mature, right? And it's pretty fantastic. So it's mature. I mean, yeah. some, some startups just claim, yeah. hey, I've got AI. It's just no, simple from algorithm. day one, like when we started going down the dark hole in the make time days, it's because we invested in data. Like it's just like, you know, I forgot how many data points we were analyzing per part, per day, per minute. It was just like massive, massive, massive amount. And then, but what you come out of that on the other side, it's like nobody's taking time to do it. So where we are, and you know, when you think about competitive advantage, we invented on-demand manufacturing, and we have been monitoring the transaction in the marketplace longer than anybody, right? So what's great about that, though, for the consumer and for the supply side, like go back to the the, the mental image of my grandfather's shop and just hearing the shop lights that I told you guys earlier. Like, why are we hearing that and the machines cutting? Because they were waiting for a big job, right? Yeah. No more waiting for the big job. You tell them this is the market price. Work incrementally, get make money. For the consumer, they the reason why RFQs took take so long. Everybody's gaming everybody. So to set the market on the vast, the biggest, most vast market in the world, like helps everybody. Right? So like this chair should always cost that much. Why does this chair cost any different than another chair? It's simple. The materials, the process, whatever. Okay, why don't we say that? And so like, you know, you know the company StockX, the StockX out of Detroit, yeah. shoes, yeah. You know, they had their problem, but it's like the same thing. Like why, like who knows what supply and demand is on Jordans? Why is this guy in the Bronx getting six hundred dollars for a pair versus whatever? So it's transparency into it's transparency. And yeah. so like, you know, behind all this, like we are idealists. We believe in leveling the playing field and allowing everybody to prosper on, on the side of it. And the hope is you level it a little bit, more people can make more stuff, more volume, and everybody wins. Right? We just we create more jobs, we do more good like yeah. across the world. But we gotta get there. Yeah, that's amazing. It's it's really exciting. I mean it's just it makes so much sense. I mean it's marketplaces once they start, it's like duh. Yeah. Why didn't anybody do this? And that's seems like every marketplace you feel that way after you discover it. Yeah. I can tell you, um, being in the middle of it right now, it's just like yeah. getting smacked with a shovel every day. What's what's the growth like? Yeah. What's what's it? You know, <laughs> when we got coffee, you said something dumb when it came to growth. I don't even remember, it but dumb. it was dumb. We're doing really well. You're doing dumb. Yeah, we're doing dumb growth. You're doing dumb. We're okay. doing dumb growth. Yeah. 
And so what does that mean? Does that mean IPO? I mean, a market, like what's next? What is next for something like this? So my hope for what's next is to continue employing people here at a, in a growth pattern for a long, long time. And, um, you know, everybody talks about IPO. Sure, that's the dream. Are the chances high? Yeah. Most importantly, and going back just to the gist of the whole conversation, if we solve the problem at the rate or continue chiseling at the problem yep. and delivering solutions, who cares? Yeah. It's going to be a big, big enough of a factor in how the universe works that IPO is going to be just the dumbest little acronym on the face of the planet, and capital is not going to be a word that we need. And then, so it's like, and what I love about our current work like ethic is just like, be relentless, solve the damn problem, right? Get all engines firing so that literally you tomorrow can start a car company. If I can do that, our company can do that, sky's the limit. And we're well on that path. Yeah. That's amazing. Let's talk about Lexington and, and be focused here on, um, you know, you said the good things about this region are necessity, chip on our shoulder. You know, we're, we're building things because we want to build things and we need to build things. Um, that's a good thing about it. Mm-hmm. What else What else is great about this region just from a startup perspective, not necessarily from a uh, entrepreneurship mindset perspective. From a startup perspective? Just from starting a business. Like what's what's great about starting a business here is yeah. that um, you have to hire people that aren't really good at what you need them to be good at and then so you're like, oh, that was a surprise. Like I never thought of this that way. Yeah. No, um, man, that's just a tough... You know, it's funny, our our my light is different now that we're at Crip. So we're, we're 280 people now. Yeah. And in Lexington, no, okay, we're yeah. about 70 people now, okay, so uh, and growing, yeah. And so, used to, I would say, we didn't have the talent, but you find that critical mass draws talent, right? But I don't think we have enough talent to sustain. So, man, that's tough. Here's the problem I don't have the answer, I don't know why it's good to be here, yeah, and I don't want to go on that rant again. I would say it's cheap. It's not cheap. Like rent's not that much cheaper than most places. The talent isn't that much better. I'd say the work ethic is better. You got nine to five people that will put their heart in, like, you know, hoe the field, get out, like not really care about ping pong, like, and just go back to their families. That's a good thing. Um, Utilities aren't cheaper. Like if you look at it, it's just (laughs) not like the best place. But I think somewhere in there, like, it just goes back to, like, great things don't come from, like, great places are defined by the struggle that, like, in the beginning of the place. Chicago was cold, like, it was on a lake, like, it was, like, at the crossroads of something. There was an opportunity. It created grit. New York was, like, an island that was easy to defend, and, like, it was, they somehow managed to buy it, like, really cheap and take advantage of a bunch of people to make a port. Like, L.A. was a dead-end like, it was a cattle stop. All the cows died. They couldn't, like, make it a ranch. So they were like, we might as well put a rail spur here, which created, like, an opportunity to get stuff out on the ocean. My point is just, like, what the hell are we good at here? We we started... And you think about Lexington from the beginning. We started, like, as kind of like a drunken left step off the mountains, and we found that our grass made good horses, and so then we were trained... This is funny. We were trained to sell things to rich people from the beginning. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of been our mentality. Bourbon, horses. 
well, fine, the, fine luxury things. The bourbon came out of the, the pain, probably, of only being able to sell stuff to rich people but not having it. So, so I'd say the bourbon, and what's crazy, I'm sure, is the alcohol industry bigger here than equine? I don't know the answer to that. I'd say they're probably pretty close. I'd say, actually, I would say bourbon is probably bigger because bourbon is more mass market than horses. So our pains have given us more than, than our pleasures, probably. So, yeah. uh, well, so, bourbon out of necessity, moonshining. You know, my grandfather out of necessity to take care of nine kids. Yeah. Bourbon. There you go. Moonshine. Did he really? Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And now he'd be like a, a millionaire. Yeah. Like with his, like, his little boutique be nice. Like be Jim Beam. Yeah. Just no, one of those guys. Knowles. Yeah. Mauser. Mauser's the name? Mauser's the name. That's perfect. Yeah. So I you know, man, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think like And and nobody everybody we've interviewed has said the pretty you know, typical stuff. Mm-hmm. Um and I don't think anybody knows the answer because everybody gives a different answer. Mm-hmm. Um and the good things people say are the canned answers. Yeah. And that's what I was. That's why I was excited to talk to you because there's nothing canned. No, there's nothing filtered. There's nothing organized <laughs> that comes out of your mouth. No, and I noticed that. I've only had coffee with you once, but yeah. I could notice right off yeah. the bat. That's how it's going to be. Oh, what do you? What do you think? Like, why is it good to be here? Man, I'd love being here just because I think the people yeah. are one of the big things that makes me love being here. I grew up in Elizabethtown, small town, thirty thousand people. Um, not a whole lot of motivation. You know, there's a lot of small mom-pop shops, small businesses, mm-hmm. um, and that's respectable. But the bigger ideas just weren't happening there. Right. So I came to Lexington. Went to UK, realized entrepreneurship, something I wanted to do. Got involved in Fuji, dropped out, moved to LA, got that perspective of people in LA. Awesome city. There's a ton okay. of stuff to do. Really Live fun. Yeah, yeah, really fun place. But the people in Kentucky... Is what brought me back. Yeah. The feeling of everybody trying to create a home. It's just like a homey hospitality. Like the hospitality thing is real. It is real. And I think um, that's what attracts me to this and I think gives this place so much potential because people actually care. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we can combine that care with the mindset of true entrepreneurship, I think that's what's special. And that's what we're trying to do you know, with, with Middle Tech because I've been a part of an awesome entrepreneurship team, entrepreneurial team at Fuji, mm-hmm. and nobody talked about it. Yeah, and I wish that really bothered me. Um, and so that's what attracts me to this place: is the people, and not necessarily the things we're doing right, but the opportunity there is to do something right. Mm-hmm. Because there are there are problems, there are um, a lot of things that need to be done, and I see those as opportunities. And that's why, you know, we're sitting here and why I'm here. Because I could I could very well be in LA. I could have gone back, but um, so that's why I just need to keep outside it money out <laughs> yeah i mean who, yeah that, maybe we just shut the doors yeah maybe we have the right mindset to begin with and we just need to cultivate the people here right more than i mean we gave birth to the bluegrass conspiracy did you guys ever read that no cocaine bear the story of the cocaine sound bear. like some cornbread mafia stuff it was even better than that yeah like kfc like it was basically the beginning of the, like the cartel in america so you never heard the story of the cocaine bear? No. So the no. cocaine bear, like, um, uh, sheriffs get a call, or not sheriffs, but like wildlife people in Georgia. And they're like, uh, look, something bad's happening. And so everybody goes down to the spot, and there's a, a bear going crazy because he ingested 300 pounds of cocaine. 
And that 300 pounds of cocaine came out of a plane being piloted and led by a group of Kentuckians distributing cocaine throughout like the Midwest and the South here off the back of some other stuff. Long story short, Cocaine Bear is at Kentucky for Kentucky, so his name is Pablo Escobar, and I invite you to see it. That's amazing. But my, my point is, it's like, and like, if this isn't like a keep Austin weird kind of mantra or like keep Kentucky weird mantra, I think you're right. It's just like, I think we just need to determine, and it, like I said, I think get the, the group of us that have gone through the ringer, seen what Capital does, and like instead of like pitch competitions or like whatever that is, like spend as much time harnessing the unique stuff that we have and trying to maximize it. Yeah. Like I said, this like, you know, passing the Hall of Fame wall downstairs. Not any of them, like very little of them went that path. Yeah, like very few venture like, backed. Like, check this yeah. out. Like as combined company, we've raised about $118 million. That's a lot, a lot of money. A lot of money. Like money where I'm just like, whoa, like what is this? Yeah. Like prior, you know, just like I remember my first $8 million round. Like, okay, is that like 1% of the GDP of like downtown Lexington? Like I didn't know, like, and then I was just like the, the pressure of that, like what does all that mean? Is that necessary? What is like the real bill? I mean, go on, go on, go on it forever. And we start, and I was listening to the previous podcast and I think it's great. Just like starts with the people, like educating people to keep certain people away. Keep the dumbasses out of business. Like, we've got, this is a place to champion founders, not the people sitting on the sidelines, not doing garbage crap or anything. No. If, they're, if they have time to give you advice, right, the, the ones that are doing it, they ain't doing it, right? And what sucks, and I'll call myself out, like I always try and keep time for coffee, but we have to do more. Like, and all of us need to be called out on that. It's just like, you guys are doing your thing, this is fantastic, this is awesome, Right. But there's also, you know, and the core team of make time, like 40 people that have been through it, and we're not out there doing it. We have like a data meetup, whatever the hell that is. Like, like, and then people that like, at Fuji, they got stories to tell. But, and it's because we're so wrapped up in the stuff that we have to do just to survive, that at some point we have to figure out like, what we're gonna do for our own people. And it's just, yeah. and it's just stupid and it's hard and I can talk about this forever. Yeah. And to, to no end. Yeah. And it's, it's going to come down to me and say, like, well, we have a conference, but that's the dumbest thing in the world. But I just, like, really wish that, like, I just I remember the first pitch competition thing that I did here. And I just really wish, not three words out of my mouth, but the end of it was not thank you so much or those four words. I wish it was fuck off. Because I think what we need is to be a little more badass and we got to strut a little bit more and we have to pull people with us like here's the thing like i hate this term but it's you know it's like um it's like we're commodifying founders yeah 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 why i, I feel i can see that 100 percent. we are we are taught to try to form them like a crop that's right yeah and chase capital yeah why is that switched it just makes no sense to yeah me. yeah yeah it's just like the people that build businesses are the ones that aren't going to go in the first. Yeah. And so yeah. something has happened in the past few years, which celebrates that more. Right. Which is like, no, no, no. Like, let's groom you. Let's like groom you. Like, this is how you go. And this is how you talk. 
that's how you do your thing. You got to go through typical mills like, "Welcome to the D League." Like, you're now you're at Bluegrass Angels, like, <laughs> and like, that's not the place. They should be clamoring to throw whatever peach dollar that they have. And there's some great people in there that were helpful to me, right? Like David Goodnight's one. He's just like, "Wow, you're." You should do this instead of that. Like people that can like do your thing, but for the most part, like I just don't know. It's like how do we like naturally develop the gangsters that we are, right? And maximize them, and maximize them for here and whatever it is. I'll put twenty dollars on it. I'll give twenty dollars to any founder that calls me right now. Here's my phone number. I'm just kidding. Twenty dollars <laughs> could probably go a lot. Like, look, I'll pay your AWS license for the first two weeks. Now you know what? Even better than that. I'll give a case of Waterloo, maybe even DMT. I'm just wow. No, I, do I don't even know what DMT is. That's, I think you do that. No, I don't. I think you do. <laughs> no, but my, it's just like, but yeah. I think we're all on the same page. It's just like, we've got to do, we got to embrace who we are and stop being so damn culture.